Wonderful. Such a blessing to be able to be here with you all today. And I'm looking forward to the opportunity to preaching to the church congregation, to the families of the church this morning. Uh, but just listening to the music this morning and how that we were reminded about Jesus's love for us, his grace that he's extended to us, for those, those of us who are saved and who know him, what he's done in our lives to change our lives, just makes me want to make sure that I say something to those of you who might be visiting the church for the first time, or you've been here many times before, and you've never made the personal decision to trust Jesus as your Savior. All of what you've been hearing about and the joy that you've seen on faces, on countenances, as we describe the love and grace that God's extended to us, that's available to any one of you who are here today. And you just need to understand that, that your own personal choices to sin against God, to do things differently than what he would want, has separated you from him. But he's done everything that's required in order for your relationship to be restored with him. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, and his shed blood paid for your sin. And the Bible makes it clear that all you must do is call upon him, ask him for salvation, trusting in him alone, and he will save you in this same joy and peace and love and grace that we've been able to sing about this morning. You can enjoy all of those same things as well. So again, if you've never made that decision, I want to urge you to make that, that decision today. I also want to say that it really has been such a blessing uh, to be able to be with parts of the church congregation for the last few days as part of the marriage retreat. We did have a wonderful time, and uh, you all have spoiled my wife and I so much. We've enjoyed all the delicious food and uh, the accommodations, how you all have taken care of us. But it's been a real highlight just to be able to spend time with Pastor Farinella, with the Ards, with individual couples in the church, and to get acquainted with all of you. And now it's such a blessing to be here with all of you at one time this morning and just really can't wait to get into God's Word and, and what He has for us. So with that being said, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I don't know if it's your, your custom or not to stand for the reading of God's Word, but maybe since you've been sitting for a little bit, you might enjoy standing. We're going to read just a few verses. The scripture that we're going to read from here in 2 Peter, it's a follow-up to what we actually, the section of scripture that we dealt with during the marriage retreat. We talked uh, both on Friday morning and Friday night from 1 Peter chapter 3. That was the first of Peter's epistles to believers, uh, people who had trusted in Christ. This is his second epistle, and it becomes clear as you read this section of verses that we're going to read today that Peter understood that, that he was soon going to go to heaven. He knew that he was going to die. The Lord had revealed that to him. And as Peter looked around at the generation of believers that was following him, he was concerned for them that, that the same joy, same peace, same grace, same love that we've gotten to sing about this morning, he was concerned that that same authentic Christian faith would continue on until the next generation. And it's with that heart, him knowing, I'm soon going to pass off from the scene, but I want to make sure that what I believe continues into the next generation, that is then what motivates his heart and desire that you find here in 2 Peter chapter 1. So I'm going to read just verses 12 through 16, though we're actually going to deal with all of chapter 1 and the first couple of verses in chapter 2 in the message this morning, just kind of a, a bird's eye view, an overview of Peter's heart and intent here. But I'm just going to read verse 12. Of 2 Peter chapter 1, down through verse 16. You follow along as I read. The Bible says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent 
to put you always in remembrance of these things. And we'll talk about what these things are. Though ye know them and be established in the present truth. So Peter says, though you've heard these things before, you, though you, you know them, you understand them, I'm going to remind you of these things. Again, it's important. Verse 13, yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, in this body of flesh, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So the title of our message this morning is this, Perpetuating Wooden Valley Baptist Church to the Next Generation perpetuating Wooden Valley Baptist Church to the next generation. Let me pray with you, and then you can be seated. Father, it's been such a joy to be here already this morning. Thank you, Lord, just for how that uh, your people have praised you in song and how our hearts have been lifted and reminded of all that you've done for us. And Lord, it is my sincere prayer that if someone here today has never trusted you for salvation, has never called upon you, and repentance of their sins and faith in your son. I pray, God, that they would do that today. And, Lord, I ask that Peter's heart and intent in these verses that we just read would come across through me this morning, Lord, as I deliver this message that you have in store for all of us. And, Lord, as you speak to us, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to respond and to obey, knowing, Lord, that you only have the best things in store for us as we obey you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to give you right here at the outset of the message kind of a key statement that you'll find is central to all of what we're going to talk about this morning. And that key statement is this. Good things should be perpetuated. Good things, in fact, must be perpetuated. Now, when I say to you, good things must be perpetuated, I, I get that that's pretty general, so maybe you aren't exactly clear what I mean by that, but I do want to give you an example, an exhibit today that would help you understand what I mean by good things, okay? Now, this right here, brethren, sisters, this is a package of Twinkies, okay? And April 6th, 1930 was an important day in American history. There was a man named James DeWar who lived in Schiller Park, Illinois. He worked for a company in Illinois that would inject fruit or inject filling into pieces of fruit and sell them uh, at, a, at a local store where people could purchase strawberries and other things like that uh, that had this fruit filling injected into it. And Mr. DeWar just had this idea himself, preferring to bake as opposed to dealing with the fruit, thought, well, what would happen if we took this cream filling that they've been putting into the fruit and instead put it into a yellow sponge cake? Real inspiration, right? And, and that's how that the Twinkie was born. Now, the Hostess Company, as it's come to be known, it sells, the Hostess Company sells roughly 500 million Twinkies per year. Uh, but if Twinkies aren't your thing, the Hostess Company, they've got something for you, right? Because they've got the little cupcakes with the little white swirly stuff on the top, you know what I'm talking about, or uh, Zingers, 
or even for the health gurus, they make whole grain breads, the Dolly Madison Bakery. I mean, they've, they've got something. The Hostess Company has some delicious baked good for you to enjoy. But just like that April 6, 1930 was an important day in American history, well, January 11, 2012 was a very dark day in American history. And some of you may remember this from just a few years ago, that the Hostess Company went temporarily bankrupt. And for a period of just over a year, there were no Twinkies produced anywhere in the world. And for that time frame, as people were longing for their Twinkies, their Hostess cupcakes, their Zingers, their Ho-Hos, their Ding Dongs, and they could not find them, then, then you can check this out, verify it for yourself. During that season of time, there were individual packages of Twinkies sold for $1,000 on eBay. And boxes of Twinkies were sold for $5,000 because people said, we had a good thing here in America. We don't know about the rest of the world and what kind of stuff they have, but we have the Twinkie. And when people began to be concerned and say, I don't know if we're always going to have the Twinkie, suddenly people began to value the Twinkie in a way that they never had before. Now, obviously, you know that things worked out. Some other company bought it out. I'm not exactly sure how all that happened. What I do know is that the way that it should be, I was able to walk into a convenience store in Burlington, Washington yesterday, and I got this package of Twinkies, not for $1,000, but for $2.19. So when I say that good things should be perpetuated, and I talk about Twinkies, and you know what I'm talking about when I say good things, okay? But maybe when I talk about that good things need to be perpetuated, maybe that requires a little bit of explanation. That may not be a word we use all the time, perpetuate. So let me give you a dry dictionary definition, okay? Here we go. Don't fall asleep on me, okay? Perpetuate. It means to preserve something valued from oblivion or extinction, to cause something to be remembered or continued, to cause to continue or to prevail. Here's this. This is a good one. To keep something going, okay? Now, I enjoy cycling, so when I think about perpetuating, I can't help but think about my bike and, and riding on my bike. If you think about it, you sit down on a bike and it, it, it's not going to go anywhere unless you do something to get it going. But once you get it going, the whole point of the exercise and getting from point A to point B is that it, it's, it's going to stop if you don't continue to pedal. Uh, all the more so if you're going uphill or you're facing the wind, you have to actually pedal the bike in order to perpetuate it, to, to get it to keep going. Otherwise, in the absence of you keeping it going, it, it will stop going. It's, it's not going to keep going on its own. So when I say good things should be perpetuated, what I'm suggesting to you is that things that we value, things that are important to us, are worthy that we would put forth the effort and the energy to be able to keep those things going on into the, the next generation. America should continue to be able to fill people with preservatives and sugar and cream for decades to come, right? These good things should be perpetuated. Amen. But I want to suggest to you that obviously something way more important than Twinkies uh, is, is something that in our scripture is found to be really important and that I find to be really important that should be perpetuated. And that's why I want to suggest to you this morning that in my opinion... Wooden Valley Baptist Church is a good thing that should be perpetuated to the next generation. 
I'm so thankful to be able to be here with you all today. In fact, I got to talk with Pastor a little bit about that. I remember the first time that I came here to the church was when I was traveling with Glory Bound, the men's quartet from Heartland Baptist Bible College. I was the sound man for the group, and, and I stepped into this auditorium in 2003, in the summer of 2003. And I remember that. We came back again in 2005, and I was struck then by the spirit of the congregation and what God had blessed you all in having here at the church. The services were such a blessing to us. The preaching was a blessing. And now I come back 16 years later and just am in wonder of the work of grace that God has done. Even as God has worked in my own life in the last 16 years and his grace has done so much in me to come back here and have all of these memories from here when I was here before and yet I find it's the same spirit, it's the same wonderful people, only there's, there's more of you and, and God's done such a great work as so many people are involved, the choir and everything's just been such a blessing to be able to, to be a part of it with all of you. And I know that you all are trying to reach out to the community and to make a difference. And the Christian school is, is reaching people and helping young people to come along. And it's so needed right here in this community. Now, now I know you understand that if, if Wooden Valley Baptist Church shut its doors tomorrow, it, it's not as though in this world in which that we live, that there would be throngs and throngs of people that would be banging the doors down and and trying to buy stuff on eBay in order to have this church continue on. But that's because the world misunderstands what's really important. Because to those of you that have been a part of this church and you recognize how that what God has given to you is so rare, so special, you realize that, that everything possible should be done in order to keep this church going. And ultimately, it's not because that there's something so magical or mysterious about these four walls though it's wonderful to see what God has done here. It's the individual work of grace that God has done in each of your lives and in your families where that Jesus Christ is, is living through you, his spirit is at work in you, and that authentic Christianity, as you all meet here together, creates such a, a wonderful place that you all get to enjoy. And it's worthy that it would be perpetuated on to the next generation. Well, that same desire for authentic Christianity to continue on to the next generation is what motivated Peter in this passage that we just read. He was concerned because as he was preparing to go off the scene, he looked at the next generation and he saw great potential, but he also saw three particular threats that were a concern to him. He, he looked into the future and said, I'm going to go to heaven. I will have completed what God asked of me. But, but I'm concerned that these threats I see facing the next generation could potentially get individuals, families, churches, congregations off course. And what I have known and the joy and peace I've known and the authentic Christianity that I've known as I walked with the Savior and have tried to live the life that he wanted me to live after that, he's saying he, he was concerned that those threats might come in and keep that individual church that individual believer, that individual family from going on in the Christian faith unto the next generation. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is those, those threats that Peter was concerned about because not much has really changed since Peter penned these words. And the same, same threats that could keep one generation of Christianity not being perpetuated to the next generation is the same threats that we face today. Whether it was in Peter's day or in our day, the threats are the same. The solutions are also the same. And if you remember from what we read there in verse 12 and on through the remainder of the verses, Peter kept saying, I'm going to remind you of some basic things. 
I'm going to remind you of some essential truths. And for each one of those three threats, there was a truth that he wanted the next generation to choose in its place. Okay? So, so what Peter's saying is you can either give in to the threats that will keep you from perpetuating authentic Christianity, or you can hold on to these essential core truths that you know, and that's what will help authentic Christianity to continue on to the next generation. So we might find ourselves asking Peter, okay, so, so what are they? What are the threats that could possibly keep Wooden Valley Baptist Church from continuing on to the next generation, from one godly family continuing on to the next generation and to the next generation? What are, what are those threats and what are the truths that could keep us from giving in to those threats? Well, the first of, of those threats we find in verses 1 through 4 of the chapter, and I'm going to read it now. Simon Peter he addresses his audience, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the, look at this, knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the, look at the next word, the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, these promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature. God's nature will rub off on you through that knowledge and that relationship with Jesus. Now look at what he says. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. As Peter looked to the next generation, he was concerned about the threat of worldliness infiltrating the church, individual believers, and families, and saw that if worldliness was able to drag those believers, those families, into worldly thinking and lustful thoughts and thinking, that it would destroy the church and cause that the next generation of supposed Christianity would look nothing like the previous generation of authentic Christianity. Peter was concerned that worldliness would keep them from being what God intended for them to be on into the next generation. And he presented to them these alternatives. It's that either they would give in to worldliness and the spirit of this age that always draws people into corruption and lust, or or in contrast to that threat of worldliness and the lust and, and the desiring and covetousness and corruption that it would bring, instead, they could focus upon all that they had in their relationship with Jesus Christ and their knowledge of him and the promises that he had entrusted to them. They would either focus on the world and its environment of always wanting, or they could develop their relationship with Jesus and their knowledge of Jesus and focus instead on all that they had. Always wanting or always having. That was the, the spirit and the alternatives that, that Peter saw this congregation, these people, these believers facing in the future. Was the decision either to give into a perpetual state of wanting or through a satisfied relationship with Jesus, a perpetual state of having and joy and peace. You know, we just finished up the marriage retreat over the last few days, so I, I can't help but think about even my own relationship with my wife, Anna, that God has given her to me, and she is, is my wife, and in her, I have everything that I need. 
And a husband that chooses to be focused upon his wife and thankful for the wife that God has given to him, he will walk around satisfied with his heart filled with the love for his wife and the continually growing knowledge of his wife as he appreciates her more and more with the passage of time and he spends his life satisfied with the wife that God has given to him. But it would be possible for any man, me included, rather than appreciating and being satisfied with the wife that God has given to me to instead spend my life wanting and looking for something else. But, but that perpetual state of wanting, that constant state of wanting will never give me satisfaction, will never give me peace, will never give me joy. And that's all that the world and lust and corruption can ever offer to us is a constant state of something that, that looks like it will satisfy, but it never will. And we'll make a choice to say, am I going to spend my life always wanting something that I don't have? Or am I going to spend my life satisfied with what I do have? And every believer, as they go through life and experience the onslaught, the threat of the world against us, will make the decision to say, will I allow the advertisements that bombard our lives and tell me that I always need the newest this, the better of that, that I'm not cool enough, that I don't measure up, that I have to have these possessions or I have to look in this way or I have to act in this way in order to fit into this world? Will a believer allow themselves to be pushed into that state of always wanting something and never being satisfied? Or will that believer instead grow in their personal knowledge of Jesus and say, in Jesus, I have everything I need. I have promises that he'll take care of all of my needs that he will save me for all of eternity, that he'll be with me to the end of the age, and we'll either choose to give in to all of what our flesh might want but never be satisfied, or instead we can focus upon all that we have in Jesus and be satisfied in him. I can't help but think about the words of the song, I'd rather have Jesus. And, and the tone, the heart, the spirit that is communicated in it. The last verse of it says, He, speaking of Jesus, He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let Him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. See, if Wooden Valley Baptist Church is going to continue on to the next generation, then young people must see the current generation satisfied in their relationship with Jesus and not in a perpetual state of wanting things that they don't have from this world that can never satisfy. Worldliness is the threat that could destroy the families of this church, and a personal relationship with Jesus that satisfies is what can, the essential truth that can cause you to continue on into the next generation. What was the second enemy that Peter was concerned about? He was concerned about apathy. See, it wasn't just worldliness that Peter was concerned about. And he knew that if believers would truly fall in love with Jesus and be thankful for their own salvation and the promises that God made to them, that would secure and stabilize their hearts where that they wouldn't just always be looking for something else out there. But he recognized that a second danger was that believers who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, those who have security in their own souls as a result of what Jesus has done for them, that it could be that they're satisfied in that state of, well, I'm going to heaven and I place faith in Jesus and everything is okay for me. And it could be that a believer would settle into a state of apathy and contentment and complacency 
with where they were in their spiritual walk in life to just say, well, I'm going to heaven and I place faith in him and everything's okay with me. So that's it. That's all that this Christian life is about. But look at how Peter responds to that then beginning in verse five. He says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. So notice he's going to give a sequence of traits that extend beyond faith. Faith is what initiates our relationship with Jesus, but he's saying, you've got to give diligence to grow beyond that, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Eight different traits, and, and would we, to, were we to have more time and not taking a big picture perspective on this text, we could talk about each of those, but the important thing for you to understand is Peter's talking about growing from faith to a place of charity, self-sacrificing love, that a believer would go from the place of just saying, I'm content that Jesus has saved me, and I'm fine with that, growing past that through various stages in the Christian life to come to the place that their lives are consumed by caring for other people and ministering to other people. Peter says it's not good enough that you just have faith for yourself. It's, it's crucial, it's essential that you grow from faith to charity. And here's where he presents the alternatives, where you can either live a Christian life that is apathy or a Christian life that is growing from faith to charity. Look at what he says. Verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, these traits and qualities that are supposed to grow in us, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, you know Christ, as a result of verses 1 through 4, the Faith placed in him and the promises that he's given to you. But when you grow from faith to charity, that's when your knowledge about Christ actually produces fruit through your life, where your life is actually accomplishing something. He says, if you continue to grow, then that's what will happen in you. But look at verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren... Give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So did you hear the alternatives Peter's presenting again? He's concerned because he's saying these believers could just be content that they've been saved and they're fine for their eternity and they might settle in that place of apathy and never grow and their lives would never produce fruit that would abound. They would never have other lives, other disciples, other people that have been reached through their Christian walk, through their Christian life. It would just be, I'm content because I'm saved, but I have nothing to show for my Christian faith in the life around me. And Peter says, that kind of an apathetic life that becomes stunted in growth and never gets past faith, so that person may even begin to question whether or not that they're even saved. Because that's not the Christian life that God intended for us to live is to live a life where it's faith for our own benefit and nothing else. Because listen, listen to this. A believer who has faith for their own salvation and they've never grown beyond that, they may even live a life that they could live without Jesus. They may make choices that would look like they're not even a believer at all because they've never grown past that place of faith. So they could say, I don't even know if I've been purged from my sins. I don't even know if I am saved. And in that state of, of apathy and doubt and insecurity, a believer might stay for the rest of their life and that would destroy a church. To have a group of people, a group of families who would settle for just saying, well, we're saved, so we're fine and stay in that place of only having faith but not growing beyond that. What Peter says is supposed to happen instead 
is what you see in, in the verse, let me see, it is verse Verse 10 and verse 11, but 10 particularly. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. So I remember being a kid raised in church, hearing this verse preached a lot. It kind of would trouble me at points along the way, especially when the previous verse talks about a person maybe questioning whether or not that they're even saved. So when the verse says, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, the thought in my mind was, so I'm just constantly supposed to be making sure that I'm saved over and over and over again, like every day, am I really saved, am I really saved? Well, I'm glad to let you know that's not what Peter's intent at all is in this passage. He's not suggesting that a believer is supposed to go back over and over and over again and say, am I really saved, am I really saved, am I really saved? When he talks about making our calling and election sure, he's referring to things that God does as a result of our salvation. Now, we're not, we're not Calvinists. We know that people have to make a personal decision to trust Christ, but God calls us to salvation, and he elects. He chooses everyone who places faith in him. He chooses for those people who place faith in him to be saved. So when it says, make your calling and election sure, what could he be talking about? Well, I... I think about our seven children. We have seven children that are 10 and younger, okay? And so tying shoes is just kind of a constant activity in our household, <laughs> right? Because if you allow the children to tie their own shoes, it's got a shelf life of about 45 seconds, right? If I tie the shoe and, and I knot it once, then maybe that'll make it about 10 or 15 minutes, right? But if, if I double knot it or triple knot it and go beyond that, it's possible. It's only possible. I'm not saying it will happen, but it's possible that the shoe might make it on the foot and stay tied for at least the next few hours. It's, it's possible. So the idea of double knotting is, well, if I knot it again, then it'll be even more secure. But think about when it comes to our own salvation. If Jesus knots us in him once, that's plenty good enough. There's not any one of us that are ever going to be turned loose from him being our savior. But if we make the decision to say that I'm going to live a life that only Jesus could make possible, it's like we double knot our salvation. We make our calling and election sure by living a life that only Jesus could make possible. So if you have a believer who says, I'm not going to be content to just have faith for myself, but I'm going to grow in godliness and virtue and in all of these other traits, and I'm going to live a self-sacrificing life for other people, then when they look around at the life that God enables them to live, they have assurance in their hearts that they're saved because they say, I couldn't live this life if Jesus didn't enable me to live this life. There's nothing in me that could sacrifice for people in this way and act this gracious or be this kind or give this much of my money or give this much of my time or handle things in this way. I could only live this life if Jesus had saved me, if he had helped me. So what Peter is saying is you double not your salvation by making the decision to go way past just your faith that you place in him for salvation and live a life of charity and self-sacrifice. I want you to understand that if individual families in this church and individual people in this church settle for a life of apathy and self-centeredness and just thankful that they're saved, well, those individual believers are going to struggle with insecurity and apathy, but it's also what would destroy Wooden Valley Baptist Church if family after family after family 
turns inward and is apathetic and doesn't care about the community or doesn't care about what's happening here. But as individual families make the decision to say, we're going to grow as a family and we're going to give to the needs of the church and we're going to be involved in ministries and we're going to sacrifice for young people and the elderly people in the church and we're going to care about what happens in people's lives and we're going to witness to people and see people come to our church, then that's what's going to allow Wooden Valley Baptist Church to be able to continue on. Apathy is the threat Growing from faith to charity is that core essential truth that Peter was concerned continue on to the next generation. So we've got two of the three that we've covered now at this point, and they basically come down to know Jesus personally, being satisfied in your relationship with him, and love other people. Give yourself to other people. You can say, well, I came here knowing that this morning. Well, sure, Peter himself said, right, in the verses that we read, this is a reminder of core essential truths that we're all inclined in our flesh to let go of and to forget about. But there's one more issue, one more threat that Peter was concerned about, and it begins, he begins talking about it in verse 16. He said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter said, as I'm getting ready to pass off the scene and we've told you about Jesus, these are not made up fairy tales. Peter says, I was there. I saw it for myself. I saw Jesus. And he's going to now begin to talk about his experience with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Look at verse 17. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard. See him emphasizing his own testimony, saying, I was there for it. I heard it when we were with him in the Holy Mount. Look at verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now look at the first two verses of chapter 2. You can sense the alternatives again. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. You know what Peter's third threat that he saw facing the next generation was? He didn't just see worldliness as an upcoming threat. He didn't just see apathy as an upcoming threat. He saw heresy as a threat that existed on the horizon. He saw the the subtlety of effective communicators of the current generation being able to come in and to pervert the minds of people who had accepted and believed pure Christianity as it had been presented to them. And Peter wanted these next generation of believers to understand what the alternative was. He saw heresy as the threat, but I want you to listen to this. This is so important. Maybe it's such a crucial truth for the current generation of believers to understand. If you notice, Peter said that heresy was the threat. And when he begins to talk about heresy as a threat, notice he begins by talking about his own personal testimony, his own personal experiences with Jesus. He's saying, listen, he said, these are not cunningly devised fables. We didn't make this stuff up. I was there. I saw it for myself. But this is so, so important. You have to get this. Peter didn't say heresy is the threat 
and trusting in the previous generation's experiences is the solution, the essential truths that you have to hold on to. Peter said, you can trust me. I was there. I saw it for myself. But, he said, far more significant, weighty, stronger, more important, more foundational than any one individual person's experiences is the exalted word of God. He said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And Peter understood that if he went into the grave and if the alternatives that people were facing was the current, seductive, interesting heresy being presented by people and just the old generation's experiences, he knew that the next generation would fail. Because it would be, well, they're dead and gone, and we didn't see those things, versus the always elusive, interesting presentations of heresy that would have existed in the current generation. So Peter said, the solution to heresy and the next generation being able to go on and perpetuate the truth is not based in the previous generation's experiences, as valuable as those may be. Peter understood that if the next generation was going to continue on in the faith as it had been presented to them, their, their foundation of their faith had to be in the more sure word of prophecy, the word of God itself. And that's why it's so essential that in local independent Baptist churches, Wooden Valley Baptist Church, churches all across America that are trying to do right, and individual families, it is so crucial that the word of God be the centerpiece of that home, of that ministry, because it can't just be one generation saying, do this because I told you to do it. Or do this because I, I, I know and I was there and I had these experiences and it would work out great for you. The next generation will see through one message based on one person's experiences versus another message based on another person's experiences. But if the previous generation will exalt the word of God and say, this is a foundation that's stronger and transcendent above any one person's personal experiences, then the next generation can place faith in God's word and find the strength and security and stability to continue following Christ in the authentic Christian faith and not be sidetracked by all of the heresy that's out there. So the three threats were worldliness, apathy, and heresy. And the three essential truths were that these believers had to grow in their personal knowledge of Jesus and be satisfied in their relationship with him. They had to grow from faith to a life of self-sacrifice for other people. And they had to place their confidence and their doctrinal future in the word of God and not just in the words of one man versus another man, and it all being based upon how cunning of a communicator each individual person was. They had to place their faith in the transcendent word of God. Now, I mentioned to you that I kind of want to see Twinkies go on to the next generation. Because it's just kind of an American institution, right? I mean, it produces a certain amount of nostalgia just being able to go into a convenience store, and there's part of you that just says, you know, everything must be right in the world because Twinkies are, are still there. The world hasn't completely fallen apart. But apart from the Twinkies that I would buy for this illustration, I have done little to nothing to actually see to it that the Hostess Company continues on into the future. So if it doesn't, if it goes belly up again and it goes belly up for good this time, while I may be sad and while I may say, hey, hang on a second, I really always wanted that to be there for me if I wanted it or if I needed it, I have no one to blame but myself if it's not available anymore. 
And as wonderful as this church is, and as awesome as the Spirit has been today, and how wonderful it is, how precious it is that we have people who love God and have a personal relationship with Him, people who are sacrificing for each other, being involved in all kinds of different ministries, and, and the Word of God being the focal point of what happens in this congregation and in this environment, we cannot guarantee that just because it's great today that Wooden Valley Baptist Church 20 years from now or 30 years from now or 50 years from now will continue to be what it is if there are people who say, you know, I, I mean, it's just, it's kind of, it's an institution here in this community. I'm glad that it's here. It's always been here. But if you don't actually buy in, if, if you're not growing in your own personal relationship with Jesus, that's not just the pastor's job. If your family is not growing in their personal relationships with Jesus, if you're not growing beyond just your faith in Christ to a place that you're sacrificially giving of your time, of your money, of your energy to this church continuing on, if you're not helping the generation that follows after you to understand the importance of God's word, then listen, you can be sad, you can be disappointed, but I'm telling you in, in Christ-like love from a heart, that, like Peter's heart here, that you will have no one to blame but yourself if the next generation gives way to worldliness and to apathy and gives in to heresy, because each one of us must take personal responsibility to see good things be perpetuated. Okay, one final thought, and then I'm going to pray with you. You know, the... The best view of... This dynamic, to me, that comes to my mind is, is that of a rowboat, um, as opposed to like an individual race or something like that would be like a rowboat. And you can get a whole bunch of people in a rowboat, and you can have the rowboat want to go down the body of water, get from one place to another. But if there are a whole bunch of people in the rowboat and, and nobody wants to row, the boat's not going anywhere, right? And I'm so thankful, having the privilege to be here with you all, to see God doing things right here in this church and in this community. But I want you to, to look within your own heart and say, in my personal relationship with Jesus, in my sacrifice for this congregation, in my leadership of, of my family, am I actually doing my part to row this thing and make sure that not just my own personal bicycle keeps on going and my own interests are going, but this rowboat of Wooden Valley Baptist Church and my family that surrounds me, am I doing my part to contribute to it and to see that it goes on to the next generation? Let me pray with you. I want to ask you if you would to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I know that those uh, will prepare for a time of invitation. I want to ask a few questions, again, with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that there might be some who are here who have maybe never been to church before, or uh, you've heard something about Christianity but maybe have never understood the gospel. If there's somebody that's here today and you, you're saying in your mind, well, I'd sure like to know where I'm going to spend eternity. I, I don't know. I don't know the same thing that you're talking about. I, I don't know whether I've trusted in Christ for salvation I, or I know that I haven't but you'd like for me to pray for you. If there's anyone like that, if you wouldn't mind to raise your hand right now, again, I'm not going to draw attention to you in any way, but I would like the opportunity to pray for you. Is there anybody that would say, I don't know where I'm going to go when I die. I don't know about my relationship with Jesus. Is there anyone like that? Okay. 
Let me ask you another question, and this would be to the church families. How many of you would say in, in your heart and in your own mind to say, I'm thankful for my church, for Wooden Valley Baptist Church, and I want to see it continue into the future? How many of you would raise your hands and say that? I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Praise God for that. And that's a whole bunch of potential rowers and probably a bunch of people that already are making a difference in this church and contributing in your family life and your church life. How many of you would say, you know, the Lord showed me that I do want this church to continue, but that I need to do more to help it continue? Is there anybody like that? And I could pray for you that you'd say, Lord showed me I want this thing to keep going, but if I'm honest, I, I, my family, I may not be doing all it is that I'm supposed to be doing. Praise God for those hands, and I, I do commit to pray for you. Well, let's, let's talk about some specifics then. And again, this is between you and the Lord. I just want to know how to pray for you. There, there's these three threats that we talked about. Is there anybody that would say, would you specifically pray for me? Because if I'm honest, worldliness is a threat for me and for my family. Anybody want to raise your hand to that specifically? You say, just this world of wanting and the advertisements and the movies and, and all of culture just pushes me. Yes, I, I identify with that. Yep, I'm glad to pray for you. How about you say apathy? Say, if I'm honest, sometimes I struggle. I'm glad I'm saved. But to grow past faith, to actually sacrificing for the people around me, giving my time, giving my energy, that's a struggle for me. Anybody like that I can pray for you? I sure appreciate your transparency, your honesty. Anybody say, you know, if I'm honest, I, I struggle as a person of this generation, of the next generation. I sometimes struggle with the things that are taught in church. And, and I could really be susceptible to heresy. There's things about it that seem alluring, and I find myself questioning the things that I'm taught along the way. And you'd say, I, I know I need to give my focus to the Word of God rather than any man's opinion. Anybody saying heresy could be a struggle for me and you'd want me to pray for you? Anyone? Again, a number of hands. Well, I'm going to pray for you. I want to remind you the answers for all of those potential threats and for the future of Wooden Valley Baptist Church is right here in God's word and your relationship with him and your relationship to your pastor and these other good people within your own family making Jesus Christ your relationship with him, the word of God in this church, what your life is about. That's where the answers will be found. So let me pray with you. Lord, I just want to thank you again for the clear, helpful truth that we receive from Peter and we know ultimately comes from you as he looked ahead and saw that authentic Christianity would only continue if people understood these essential truths and lived them. It's been such a joy to be here today and want to see, Lord, this church continue on for decades into the future for this church. If, if you haven't come back to be making even a greater difference in this community through reaching people right here, through establishing additional churches, through world missions, through individual hearts and lives changed. And I'm praying, God, that you would help some here who have acknowledged that the world has a draw and a pull on them, and there's part of them that could get sidetracked by the world. Help them, Lord, to focus on their relationship with you. And some who might struggle with apathy, that they would grow beyond faith to a place of giving to others and Lord, for those who struggle with the faith and question even core things that we teach and have been taught, that they would find their security in your word, Lord. And for anyone that you've talked to them about the importance of this church, of their family remaining in Christian truth, that they, Lord, might respond to you just in simple faith, coming to you and saying, Lord, I want your help, that this church could go on, that our family could go on believing the right things and doing the right things. And God, I'm convinced that 
that you give grace to the humble and that those who would bow before you to ask for your help, that they will receive it. And Lord, I want to ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.